When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He was like, yo, I came across that clip and I was just like, yo, she, yo, she can rap, rap. Like, <laughs> like, yo, she different, different rap. And then, you know, he, he already knew that I could sing and play drums. Um, I had that music background. So, you know, he, he had mentioned, he's like, yo, I see myself in her. Hey everybody, I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our ESC. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. It's, uh, you sent me a song yesterday, Hazy Shade of Winter, um, by uh, Simon and Garfunkel. And, you know, I, I know that the, the Less Than Zero song, but I was thinking today, huh, you sent that because it's starting to actually get kind of gray outside, right? Starting to get hints of winter? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because uh, last week, you know, you and I had the chance to get up for the first time in, you know, over six months. And, you know, the weather was like, 70s it was it was beautiful and uh now here we are like in, in here in philly it was like in the 30s through the night i had all my windows closed which i never do and uh yeah i mean winter is upon us now yeah no, it's crazy you know so i heard that song late in life i actually was exposed to it uh in high school through the bangles uh on the less than zero soundtrack they did a cover and that, that soundtrack was dope it was on def jam um, I think Rick Rubin produced quite a bit of it. Uh, he definitely going back to Cali. LL, LL song, right? Going back to Cali, arguably the last great Rick Rubin LL song. Um, mm. uh, what do you got on that? What do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, going back to Cali, this might be sacrilege to some, but it might be. I mean, it, depending on the day you catch me, but I would say two out of three, it's my favorite LL song. And it's certainly one of my favorite music videos of all time, which I believe Rick at least co-directed. I mean, it's just so artful and you got the 68, 69 Corvette and it's just LA as, as hell, but it's very film noir. Like I love that record with the horns and the bass and it just always sounds great in a, in a customized car system. Black and white video, really slickly shot, you know, less than zero was one of those, films as a as a teenager that was disturbing it was like uh empire strikes back as a kid you know and the uh you know the ending was really uh bleak mm. you know you don't usually um you know back then like especially like 80s films there was like a, a kind of a neat resolution and this one was was uh was bleak so it was kind of like a coming of age you know i think that 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 song um represents a coming of age for ll too you know, to me it was the end of his um kind of first era you know, yeah, yeah. started off with like radio and, and bad and was like on top of the world when that soundtrack came out and as you point out it was a phenomenal song uh, but after that LL kind of had a fall you know he dropped um his next album walk like a panther uh walking like a panther um lead single was i'm that type of guy very very mixed feelings about it you know he's in a like a, i think he had like a smoker in the video and uh it was a little bit too um 
you know, I think he went a little too far for people after, you know, being so hard on it with, with, with those first two albums. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a, that was a signal that LL might be done. Mm. So, uh, you know, Mama said, Knock You Out album came out. He was resurrected for a second time. Yeah, I mean, LL is like the comeback kid. You know, I don't know, you and I have spent some time recently talking about Busta Rhymes, you know, with this statement album, but LL has multiple comebacks. And yeah, I mean, you know, Rick Rubin and Russell splitting and Rick doing his thing and not really working with LL again, that to me is always like a, a travesty. Um, maybe even far greater than not working with Run DMC again, who, you know, kind of steered their own course a little differently. But yeah, and, and and to your point, doesn't the Bengals version of Hazy Shade of Winter open the film? Like when the b- movie begins, isn't that what's playing? I could be wow. mistaken. Uh, I, I, dude, I haven't seen it since the 80s. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, but um, I don't know. It could be, could be, but it's a, yeah. that's a, it has so much more energy than the original. Like uh, the original mm-hmm. this film is really dope. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you know, so you mentioned Boston. Before we get into that, I just want to let people know that we got a special guest coming up. Lyric Jones is going to be joining us uh, for a little while. She's put out a, a phenomenal album. We're going to talk to her about that. But Busta, we spent a lot of time talking about Busta Rhymes' album, Extinction Level Event 2, The Wrath of God, uh, last time we connected. And um, a pretty strong reception to that, to that, that podcast. You've had two weeks to sit with it now. What's your what's your reaction to it like two weeks later? One of the things we talked about was the test of time, extending the test of time. It's only been two weeks, but but how are you feeling about it two weeks later? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the album is just as good as we talked about. I mean, you threw the C word. I couldn't, um, to be clear, classic. And I, I couldn't argue with that, even if I was a little bit more apprehensive to use that word so quickly. I played the album uh, NN on Friday, and then I played Royce right after it, because as you know, that's one of of the big three of the year, those two and Benny, but it, it still sounds great. I think that I'm noticing, and it's one of my frustrations with just the way culture moves in 2020. Um, I feel like the daily conversation has moved other th- other places. Now, obviously too, you know, Busta dropped right before an election. And I mean, you know, music conversations seem to go largely out the window for like 10 days. But um, I really hope to see this week coming, Busta continue people to unpack the album, talk about their singles and things like that. And, and Busta's already started dropping videos and as we're gonna talk about, has done some really important um, press pieces to coincide with the, with the record. Yeah, you know, I'm still hearing a lot of chatter, like especially in like my, my, my WhatsApp groups and stuff like that, people are still really engaged and excited about the album in a way that you know like you said attention cycles now are a couple of days so to have people talking about it 10 days 14 days later is just a feat in, in and of itself i have noticed though that um and that this comes up in the interview we'll talk about but uh we've got a bunch of songs on the playlist and songs don't hit me on the playlist list in the same way they hit me when i'm listening to the album because mm-hmm. sequence so well, you know, everything kind of builds into the next or next transitions and um, it has more impact. That's not to say they're not great, you know, kind of standalone, but the impact is heightened for me, at least when I listen to the album. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that quality. I think the word concept album is often played out. I mean, so many artists feel the need to make every album a quote unquote concept album. I think Busta took it to the highest level. I mean, something we've seen with Kendrick on multiple albums. And 
you know, I think Dam had this ability for Kendrick that there's obviously standalone records. They're very successful singles. To Pimp a Butterfly, I'm not so sure if it had that. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, King Kunta is a record that I will play on its own, but a lot of other ones from that album don't resonate as well unless you are committed to listening to the whole album. And I think that's true here too. And you certainly don't appreciate the moments because the way this record's sequenced and mixed, the song before each song and the song after it are all relative. It's like building a train, you know? Yeah, so is that a, does that take away from the songs individual or is it a testament to the power of a great cohesive album? I think it's B. And I think, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I sense that you and I are both album guys. Like we love singles. Playlist is great. There's a lot of albums that come out and this has been true since the beginning of time that have one or two joints on them and we come back and we play those. But this is an album and and that is a abundantly clear, um, you know, however many weeks it's been since it's dropped. Yeah, I'm, I, I'd say I'm both. Uh, I, I love a great album. Like a great album to me is a body of work and stands the test of time and like a true piece of art. Uh, but if you don't have a great album, I'd much rather you just put out singles. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I don't want to sit, I don't want to sit and fight through a mediocre album just to hear four or five good songs. Yeah, for sure. And after you do that one time, how likely are you to do it again? You're probably not going to, right? Yeah, no, put them on the playlist and that's a wrap, you know? Yeah, unless somebody I encounter is like, yo, you need to listen again. And that happens, you know. Um, yeah, and, and and that even applies to probably the biggest album that dropped this week, which we'll talk about as we go. Yeah. Okay, so one of Buster's stops, uh, and he's done a, quite a few interviews, but I think the one that's gotten people talking about him and the album again is he had a sit-down with Van Jones uh, last week. Uh, he showed the messy truth. Um, and it was like an hour and 47 minutes, something like that. It was a really extended interview, shot very professionally. It wasn't a Zoom interview, which made a huge difference, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You got the two of them sitting in wooden chairs that looked like thrones, right? Like, they looked kind of like medieval and like very, like, imposing, but like... Uh, in a library. King-making, exactly, yeah. Uh, so, you know, the whole setup was really dope. And Van, you know, really... It took his time, like, you know, exploring, like, the personal life of Buster, like, getting into his youth, his relationship with his parents, you know, how he came of age in the rap game. And there were some really interesting, um, you know, stories like, you know, Public Enemy uh, and how Chuck D was a mentor and, like, how much he trained and, like, you know, actually put together, didn't put them together, but really kind of put leaders of the new school on the map. But, but he had some, I know you had the reaction. To yeah, I just, I love that. I mean, you know, so often I think in terms of mentorship and, and we might even get to talk about that with our guests, you know, Lyric Jones, but people associate mentorship with collaboration, you know, and there are, you know, legendary artists that have been mentored by other legends that you can't trace through discography. You know, you look at like, you know, um, Daddy O and AZ or Foxy Brown, you know, you look at Chub Rock with Lady of Rage, like people don't talk about, they obviously go to Dre. And with Busta, I think people go immediately to Native Tongues without realizing that not only did Chuck D give him his name, Busta Rhymes after a football star, but Chuck D and Hank Shockley and the Bomb Squad came up with the name Leaders of the New School before they ever had personnel. And to watch Busta spend it wasn't like a, a passing talking point. He spends like 15 minutes 
talking about how there was this, I don't know if it was a whiteboard or a chalkboard with, or, you know, post-it notes of all of these different names that PE and the bomb squad had for their offshoots. And it was, it was this song that no one will ever get to hear where Busta, you know, Dinko, Charlie Blake, they, they dissed the artists before them to earn the name leaders of the new school. And, and Busta even sells van. Like it's not a song we wanted to do. We were basically in tears doing it. But once they got that, they got the name, whereas they could have been named the Young Black Teenagers, which obviously went to, you know, well, a group. I mean, that, well, that was the thing, right? Like, so um, they were battling with a, a, a white group for the yeah. name leaders of the new school because Chuck D was originally going to give it to this group. And Buster said, no, that's our name. We want that name. It's okay, cool. Y'all got a battle. And so the song they had to write was for that. Yeah. Uh, was was for that battle and uh you know then you know after they won it yes the, the all-white group was named you know very controversially uh, at the time young black teenagers you know uh, by chuck d yeah and the only way they could get away with that is by having chuck d being their, their sponsor you know yeah yeah and that group you remember dj twist from mtv like he was always the host of the grind and all of those different he was their like mainstay dj he came out of that group um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that interview made me reconsider like so often. I know that the groups that PE put out, you know, like Son of Berserk and Johnny Juice don't always get, you know, the artists that they put out. They don't always get the recognition. But Busta Rhymes is of that pedigree. And to watch him, you know, it's a great interview because there's just so much um, hip hop headedness to it, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I really is probably the best interview I've ever seen with Busta Rhymes. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, I love the fact that, uh, you know, Chuck D used to make them run while they rapped. Yeah. Like, literally run, because he wanted them to be in shape, you know, and, like, you, you see the animation and energy that Busta had, especially in his younger years. I, I got to believe it's by being in shape and, like, training like that, that kind of boot camp style. Yeah, for sure. So another thing that he um, that he revealed for the first time is that he nearly died. Uh, a few years ago, um, you know, he was massively overweight. I think he said he had gotten up to 354 pounds. Busta is like maybe around six feet. You know? Yeah. Uh, so he, he gained like uh, 90 pounds um, and had developed sleep apnea and polyps in his throat. And got to a point where 90% of his airway was closed. And he was going to a doctor, you know, um, just like... Um, take care of something he thought was minor his polyps would come back and he was losing his voice the doctor told him that he couldn't let him go home he had to go straight to the emergency and you know uh you know and buster was pushing back and said look you go home you catch a cold you're dead um it's something he'd never talked about before but what, what did you uh, what did you think about that when you heard yeah i mean i i didn't realize it and i feel like i was in the party of people that just thought busta was just out of the spotlight by design you know he went 11 years between albums and in that period of time i saw busta perform with q-tip at least once and his live show was intact when i saw him which was around 2012 um 2011 but yeah i didn't realize it and you know he had severe sleep apnea which i know was a factor that contributed in the death of pimp c um i think it may have um you know there's other artists that have suffered from that and Busta even says he gets kind of choked up as he was like, I didn't want to be another Instagram post. Yeah. Um, so to watch him by the grace of God, as well as his son and his bodyguards and his team around him, 
do all of that um, to now lose the weight, be in shape, make this incredible album. It's, it's one of those things that makes you go and listen to the album and appreciate it through that lens as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there are other people battling illnesses right now. Jeremiah has COVID and uh, apparently it's very serious. You know, I think he's been in the hospital on a ventilator yeah. for quite some time. He's had it for like two or three weeks. So, um, now that, that's tough because he's, I think he's only like 34 years old or something like that. He's yeah. 30. So, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, yeah, you know, definitely saw that. And uh, he's made some music I really like. And I'm, I'm thinking about that. I Every day I think of Fred the Godson, you know, like, which was not an artist that was immediately in my mind, but like, you know, somebody that you and I had met that passed away from COVID and or complications related to. And yeah, I mean, this stuff is very real. And this past week, you know, I'm on my own health journey. And um had a conversation i was like i can't keep going to the gym right now if i want to be around my family in a few weeks um and you know how do you alter that how do you make these sacrifices so covid is you know we're seeing record record numbers right now and um i think we're about to go into a huge shutdown again i mean other countries are leading the way with that so it's specific to Jeremy, you know, I want to, I hope that, you know, he recovers definitely in my thoughts. I'm going to keep checking on that story, but all of us need to be just very, very mindful right now. Yeah, man, I live just down the street from urgent care and every day, uh, no matter what time of day I pass it, there is a line of people around the corner, their cars parked all the way down the street. You know, to get house. tested? Like, I, I got to assume, you know, it's crazy. Numbers are spiking pretty pretty tremendously but yeah thankfully the death rate is not going up but um you know yeah. we've got to remain vigilant for sure yeah you know i saw the other day in philly i think it was seven hospital beds were open yeah. so like where i am and and, and my particular neighborhood was a hot spot earlier i'm just i'm trying to lay low in the words of snoop dog yeah. you know and i know we lost somebody who was important to you in the culture this week you want to talk about yeah that? Just DJ Spinbad, not an artist that I knew a lot about. I mean, Queens, New Yorker, but made what I hold as a, a mix in high regard with DJ JS1, who's a huge supporter of Ambrosia for Heads and DJ AV, um, Rock the Casbah, which I didn't realize came out in the mid-90s. I bought a physical copy of that CD um, in the early 2000s, you know, the official back when that's how mixtapes were consumed. And it was a groundbreaking project of, three very deft turntablists taking 80s pop music and and mixing it with style and finesse i think it's really i mean z trip and djp there's some other legendary takes on that but i think that's the a1 which i encourage everyone to listen to cause of death and stuff like that i haven't seen but um you know spin bad was very he was influenced by dj jazzy jeff had been a fixture at his uh, playlist retreats that Jeff does with a lot of dope MCs and producers and DJs every year. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be a hip hop head if uh, we didn't take just a moment to acknowledge Spinbad and his incredible catalog, you know? Yeah, yeah. no, man. Um, I remember you had sent it to me and I remember listening to it back in the day. Um, I hadn't heard it in probably 10, 15 years or something like that, maybe longer. Uh, but it was, you know, I remember I'm a huge 80s music fan and hearing them get that, D, that hip hop DJ treatment was pretty incredible. That was something that was not going on. So it was very groundbreaking. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know spin it like, and it, and I feel like lately, just the DJ gets lost in the sauce sometimes. I mean, somewhere in the '90s, when a DJ kind of became a host who pushes buttons. Shout out to all the people that cut, scratch, mix. Um, I just read a dope article on Microchop, um, you know, which is a great blog and and site about how those three guys used a broken four track recorder to make that mix because throughout are drops from some 80s movies and commercials and a lot of like pop culture minutia. And just to know that how hard um, technically advanced people went to make art, you know, for so many years and still do it, it just, we can't push that under the rug. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It, it reminds me of um, that EPMD story about how they, um, they, they recorded It's My Thing. Uh, because uh, you know Jay Z used that same sam- sample uh, with seven whole, minutes, whole damn family, yeah, yeah whole damn family, seven minutes of madness, or yeah, seven, uh, seven minutes of funk, yeah, seven minutes of funk, yeah. Um, and but they couldn't chop it the same way; they couldn't figure out how to chop it. And I think that EPMD they had like a, a reel that they 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 had to like tape and like run across the entire room to like, yeah. get the, get the sample like clean like that. So or it, else they did it manually, something crazy like that, but. Yeah, man, these these dudes like put in work before the technology made it easy. Yeah, and it's important to recognize Beastie Boys in their book MCA. You know, also you know, God bless the dead did did something similar, and I love that. There's just an appreciation for that level of of craftsmanship. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there was a lot of excitement about a versus battle that was coming up. That was um, you know uh, showcasing two of Atlanta's finest, Ti versus Jeezy. And uh, you just dropped this in a doc. I hadn't even seen it, but now it looks like last minute there's a replacement for T.I. Gucci Mane. Uh, so what do you think about, what, do, you, do you know why he was replaced and, and what do you think about that replacement? I haven't seen a statement. Uh, doesn't mean that there isn't one. You know, here's what I think is going to happen. This is just, you know, barroom talk. But, you know, there was a lot of back and forth between T.I. and Busta Rhymes mm-hmm. um, with some actual like ish talking you know and ti had said like you can only use stuff that overlaps in my run like you can't go back and do like the scenario remix and Busta was like that's bs so it made sense to see gucci come in and replace ti gucci and jeezy first of all their careers line up you know the same era but you know i don't know if it's something we spent a lot of time covering on afh i know other places i had worked before but they have one of the deadliest beefs in hip-hop history like people gucci and jeezy yeah i mean there was uh you know i I believe it's one of those battles where people around them had died because of their beef in the mid-2000s um and and you know um one of them i forget who got hot in that beef like just knowing that these two guys who kind of came into the scene collaborating now that beef has long long been over they've worked together but we haven't really seen that in verses. We've seen some like serious rivalries, you know, like um, Babyface and Teddy Riley that just makes sense based on conversation. But this one, like these guys, this is like game and 50 cent, I think for, you know, Southern rap fans to watch them do battle. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'll say this, you know, I, I, there's Gucci music. I really like, especially recently, I'm much more of a Jeezy fan. I would have to really spend time with Gucci's catalog, but I know I came on here and was like, yo, T.I. is going to eat Jeezy's lunch. This one, I mean, based on my own personal taste, I think Jeezy might might have it, but uh, I know there's folks out there that ride hard for Gucci. What about you? 
Now, do you think which one would have been would be more entertaining for you, uh, Gucci and Jeezy, or Gucci and Waka Flocka? Uh yeah. I mean, Waka Flocka is more. Uh, lyric, lyric okay. Jones is oh. here too. So yeah, one second. How you doing? I know it's early for you out there in yes. Cali. Yeah. Thank you for thank you early to join us. Yeah. No problem. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, I'm Reggie. Uh, we met actually. Yeah, we met. Yeah, you, you know. Uh, yeah, we met in Atlanta, one. I believe. That's right. A3C, uh, the show you did with Rod Diggett. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. good to see you. And this is Jake. He's our editor-in-chief. What's Hi, going on, Larry? How are you? Good. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for making the time. No problem. No problem. Thanks for covering me. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Especially right yeah. now for this project. I need all the promotion in the pub and all that. So thanks for, you know taking the step to to push me and you guys have before so i appreciate it definitely definitely our pleasure you know we were just talking about verses um oh. the gucci may and so gucci may just stepped in for ti and it's going to be gucci versus jeezy but um yeah your, yeah you like that that's what we want you yes like okay. <laughs> yes <laughs> Why, you why, know it better than we do. Yeah, why, you have why, that Atlanta roots. Why does yes. that excite you? Why is that I'm, you? I'm very happy now. That's that's gonna be good. Yeah. Well, really so good. why does that excite you? Um. Well, when Gu when Gucci and uh and um uh it's Jeezy, right? Yeah. When yeah, Gucci yeah. and Jeezy were at their prime, I would say their their height. I was living in Atlanta, so I was in college when all their hit records were coming out. So. I'm going to be, I, I would be invested if it was T.I., but Gucci and Jeezy were, our, you know, th just the college days for me. Right. It's just going to be a nostalgic moment. It's <laughs> close to home for you, okay. Yeah, cool. yeah, and, and we didn't think, Jeezy, you know, there was like problems with everybody. I believe T.I. And, and Jeezy and Gucci all had, you know, turmoil a little bit. So um, I'm just curious to see how that's going to turn out. So just for the entertainment factor yeah. alone. <laughs> they got to be in the same room for that one, right? Um, I believe that's how they've been doing yeah. verses lately. Like yeah. they haven't been doing the phone um, yeah. for months, like yeah. since the beginning of quarantine. Different energy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, which one? Which one of your favorite verses so far? Um, my favorite verses so because it's been a lot of them now at this point. Um, I really, really, really like was taking over the moon with Jill Scott and Erica Badu. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like absolutely. And, and Jill was playing like B-sides, you know, yeah. and I, yeah. I don't give a fuck. I'm going to play yeah. y'all's favorites. Rolling so I Hills. really love it. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. she was going, in the, she was digging deep in the catalog and I'm a big, big fan of Jill. So I was loving it. Um, I really liked all of them. I really liked Primo and, um, Rizza, I was very invested. Like I was on Twitter and talking shit. Um, I was very invested with that. Um, and which one? There was one recently. The most recent one well, it wasn't Brandy and Monica, Gladys Knight, and Patty Labelle. That Ooh. one. Oh, that one. okay. That yeah. was so wholesome. Was, I loved that <laughs> one. On a Sunday, that was that was. That was so wholesome. Yeah, and honestly, I liked the uh, Fred Hammond and John P. Key. Uh, versus I like the you know when I can really go back and, and dig into catalogs like the Teddy Riley one was great because it's like you know it's taking me back to when I was younger younger 
for those. So I really, I really like the the ones that took me back to the '90s and like mm-hmm. early '90s. Right. Um, so I, I wasn't really, you know, like the the two chains one and, and stuff like that. Like I wasn't really running to the computer to watch those or um, my phone to watch those because it's my era, but it's it's a little, it's more the younger generation. Yeah. It, it feels better for verses when you're getting reminded of records, when you're like, mm-hmm. yo, I was like six when this came out. So right. I can't wait for this Tribe one, Tribe and uh, Outcast. Now, is that confirmed yet? Or are you just, I know there've been grumblings. But uh, I thought I saw it on like a big publication. Like, okay, I, I know I, they've I, been in talks. You know, they've been in talks. Yeah, the, the reports are there, but it hasn't been final, 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 finalized yet. Though. Okay, but that's that's so. gonna be. I mean, tribe one. So regardless of <laughs> <laughs> regardless of what happens, tribe one to me. Yeah. Um, there would be no outcasts without tribe, in mm. my opinion. Um, but that's you know try, you know five dog like that's that connection is very deep for me First so I'm, yeah, I'm definitely yeah. rooting for for tribe on i hope that happens that's gonna yeah. we need another throat like deep hip-hop one like we had with primo and uh rizza yeah. need another yeah. one of those yeah we do this thing called finding the goat the greatest of all time competition we've done it for okay. MCs. we've done it for producers and we did it for groups, and we had Tribe and Outcast face off in that in the semifinals, and Outcast took it, you know, just by by a hair. And then they faced Wu Tang Clan, and Wu took the whole thing. But man, that's going to be a great battle. I'm very. I hope that happens. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So you talk about catalogs. You've added a great one to yours recently. Um, Thank you. New album called Closer Than They Appear. Um, the album just sounds phenomenal, just great, just sonically, you know, really soulful, very cohesive. Thank I know you. that um, Fonte helped to executive produce it. So how did that happen? How did you guys connect? And how did he help shape the sound of the album? Um, well, he originally, um, this was like his idea, his brainchild when we connected um, in November. We connected last November. And Fonte has been one of those people who's been on my vision board for years. I, I want to say about a decade to work with. Um, big, big fan and have been since about high school, since Little Brother came out. And then even more so when Fonte branched off and did his solo career and Foreign Exchange like birthed me, for, <laughs> like for real. So I've always been a fan from afar and then we've been connected you know, online and through mutual friends. So when Little Brother came out with their project um, last year and then they went on tour, me and Rod Digger went to the show um, and went backstage and I saw Pooh and um, Shondon and and everybody. And then I saw Fonte and this was the first time I've seen him in person in like 10, 11 years. Hmm. But immediately was like, yo, like a huge hug. Like, son, I've been meaning to hit you. He said this to me, like, I'm, we got to talk. I'm like, me like i've been like what like he's like yo we got we got we got some work to do we got to work and the conversation that night went forever like to the sun came up (laughs) you know just talking about music talking about my journey his journey a lot of positive you know affirmations and um uplifting uh dialogue from him and he just at one point 
was like, hey, I guess I'm doing your album. I'm executive producer album. Crazy. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I'm not arguing. Whatever you yeah. want to do, you can play triangle on that bitch. You can do whatever. Like, <laughs> you can do oohs and ahs, whatever you, whatever. So I was just enthralled with the idea of something I've dreamed of doing for a long time. And that, you know, kind of spiraled into the idea of the project closer than they appear. Um, so what was it that caught his attention? Like, what, what, what did he say what it was that like made him say, you know what, I got to work with her? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, he said he's been watching and following me for some time. But specifically, it was, um, he said, oh, the Sway, my recent um, freestyle on Sway, which was last summer, he was like, yo, I came across that clip, and I was just like, yo, she, yo, she can rap, rap, like, <laughs> like, yo, she different, different rap. And then, you know, he, he already knew that I could sing and play drums. Um, I had that music background, so, you know, he he had mentioned, he's like, yo, I see myself in her. Like, I really would like to work with her. So, and that was just an honor to even, you know, I didn't really think he was play, paying attention like yeah. that. You know, like people like stuff and, and, you know, retweet, you know, with social media, you don't really know. So I didn't know he was like paying attention and he was, yeah. he was listening yeah. to the music. He checked out the gas. That's another thing. He liked the gas money project as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was dope. You never know what, what you post and, yeah. and what will catch somebody's eye. So, you know, so you mentioned to your fan a little brother, but it was foreign exchange. It was really a sweet spot. What was it about them and that sound that caught you? The versatility, mm-hmm. the versatility. Um, singing and rapping like you like yourself, the musicality. Yeah, it's it's the singing, but it's the it's the canvas behind the singing. You know what I mean? It's the pla- It's the it's the type of sonic production, um, and the range of of what Fonte would do. And then really, what caught my eye and ear is his curating ability um, of finding people that I kind of knew that was bu- was bubbling on the underground or being talked about. And then I would look on the foreign exchange track listing, and it would be like mutual friends, and I'd be like, "How you know about Gwen Bun?" Or like you know, just stuff like that. And it, it just was dope because it was no, he wasn't like trying to chase all these big features or whatever. It was like, let me find the people that would be great for the project and great mm-hmm. for my song or great for this this idea. And that's how I, I am with my projects or even my shows when I put my shows together. So I just felt that synergy, like real taste making, real curating with the foreign exchange albums um, and the, and the influence of jazz and house and hip hop, but soul, it, there was no box, you know, you, you never know what track would, what track would sound like what, when you would press play. Um, and that's the goals that I was trying to chase too, with my albums as well. You never know what lyric going to do. Is she going to sing? Is she going to rap? Is, is it going to be more of a funk vibe or straight boom bap? Um, and so the foreign exchange template, I would say, um, really inspired me because not a lot of people would do that or be intimidated to do that. I could hear, I could hear that, you know, um, just the texture, the warm texture of this album, you know, like Nick Screwed, one of my favorite joints ever and connected. And I hear that same kind of soulfulness in your project. So yeah, yeah, amazing. And it's dope too. I mean, you know, Fonte went on record and said that he's never really put his all into another artist project like this. I remember when, 
you know, when Little Brother popped in the early mid 2000s, you know, everybody out of the Justice League was coming with projects and all three of those guys were helping them. But to now have all of these years removed to have that kind of platform and dedication is really dope. And it, it shows in the work of this album, you know, so thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the title is in reference to mirrors, you know, every time we're in the car, you see that same kind of expression right beside you. What, um, you know, and, and, and it lends itself into the, the song titles too, with face to face and, you know, objects in the mirror. What were you reflecting on in coming into this project? Well, Closer Than They Appear came at an interesting time and just running into Fonte came at an interesting time because I was really starting to dive a little bit deeper into teaching. Um, I teach hip hop at Musicians Institute here in LA. And, you know, it was getting very redundant and stagnant for me career-wise, you know, trying to chase the same platforms or blogs or same, this is the same rigmarole. And it wasn't anything for me that was seeming exciting anymore um at one point so I was actually you know entertaining the idea of, do I need to become a full-on like educator is this my you know direction right now um am I going to continually be going in this cycle when I when I put out music kind of a tree falling in the forest a little bit <laughs> um it's a lot of noise it's a lot of people dropping stuff it's getting very, much more saturated and I really don't I'm not for the gimmicks and and the you know, just playing the game really anymore as I as I used to with the networking and, and following up all the time and all of that. I just got to a point of being exhausted and to be transparent, I still am. It's very exhausting still. Um, but running into Fonte and him kind of being enthusiastic and, you know, was really like taking a hold of, of my vision really of what I wanted my projects or my future to be it kind of, you know, put a battery in my back and he was closer than he appeared to be. And I, you know, was also a motif in a way of being closer than I thought I was to many things. Um, and it's kind of a parallel metaphor going forward with the project in itself of just so many things that I'm not, you know, realizing are going to be happening or, you know, just different situations where I'm like, wow, that's interesting. You know, that's, jolting me back into like a, a shock a little bit if I were to use that analogy um to just getting me back to this is my purpose this is what I'm supposed to be doing um if I have to pivot a little bit it's just a reminder that putting music out and touching people especially with how this album has impacted people with with my words as well as the production has been a dope reminder that I'm not done you know mm. like I have I have a lot of things to say still that people care about in in 2020 <laughs> during a pandemic they want to listen to what I have to say um yeah. that's motivating um and and just very reassuring at a time where I needed that you know so yeah that's kind of what closer than they appear how that has been a parallel through not only the project's verbiage but also just like where I feel like I am in my in my life right now you um you you paraphrase or quote Fonte on the album too with this you do it on want to say where you he said that it takes 10 years to pop overnight mm -hmm. you know you're well into a 10 plus year journey do you yeah. uh do you think that that adage holds especially true for this culture that we're all part of I hope so 
because I don't got another 10 years, well, 10 years to be playing <laughs> around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I do miss the times of 10 years ago where, you know, what, 2010, the festival scene was still like a coveted thing to do and, um, you know, much more like publications and opportunities to get on certain platforms. Uh, people were really checking for music and it was less noise. So mm. it was just more of a, um, like a selective talented 10th, I would say, of artists, whether it be hip hop or anything that were kind of rising to the top. Now it's like, it, it just depends. It really does. It don't have nothing to do with talent. I can be as talented as whatever. It really just depends on how the stars align. And I have to just realize that because mm -hmm. I've been working hard all this time. I ain't slowed down or, or none of that. So um, I hope it's been a decade. So I hope that that's true. <laughs> 10 years time overnight. Um, Cause people see you and they think a lot, I'm seeing so many new fans that had no idea I existed. So that's dope you know, yeah. to them. They're like, yo, she's on the come up. Yeah. <laughs> she's mm -hmm. on the up and up. Yo, this new artist, Lyric Jones. And, you know, I kind of smile because it's like, woof, I guess I can still be a new artist. <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen people. it. I've worked with a lot of artists over the years, you know, and um, there's almost no one who's broken through in, in any kind of significant way before seven years. And mm, it's okay. usually definitely between that seven to 10 year mark where people just start to, just start to get on the radar, right? right. Like, um, you know, I think it was like year seven or eight that Kendrick was like doing, um, you know, section 80. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Rhapsody the same way. And like, you know, so many of these, these artists are so talented. So I actually had done a series called grit because okay. um there's a lot of talented artists um, all very um you know smart uh, very driven but you know you have to sustain that for so long you know of like you know the the rejection and all those things so what is it that sustains you that keeps you going in this their responses from others you know they always say like don't worry about what other people say I can't relate like the, the positive reinforcement, honestly, from the people who do listen and press play is what I do this for. Like if, if not, then why are we putting out records for people to listen to? If, if, if other people's opinion don't matter, then what I could just leave it on my phone or leave it on my, my laptop. So when I do press play um, or when I do drop records and people press play and it's overwhelmingly positive, um, and then, you know, uh, somebody like a, a Big Daddy Kane will repost me or, or Pete Rock or whatever. Like, those are the things that go, all right, I got to keep, you know, like, <laughs> I got to get up out of bed now, you know, like, because we, we need we need that, you know, p positive reinforcement and affirmations is my love language. So when yeah. I know that I'm doing something right <laughs> and, and the people that I look look up to, like, I really respect um, the the opinions of legends and the forefathers in, of hip hop. So when I get those nods from Primo scratching me on the Gangstar album or whatever, it's like, all right, Cass is paying attention. I can't really just fall into a slumber. So when I when I get that, when people buy merch, when they check check on me and and, and really want to know what I'm doing music wise, that is what I do this for. You know, like so that definitely is helpful and, and really motivating to continue on because I think about 
all the hard work that I've done, it would be a shame to just like stop when people have been following me and supporting me for 10 years, yeah. you know, like, I feel like I'm letting people down. So I'm a, I'm a push as long as I can until, yeah, as long as I can. It's, it sucks because we're in a, we're in a time now where quality doesn't matter. Like there was a time where quality and quantity were kind of fighting each other. Now it just doesn't matter at all. Like people are finding what they want, but as far as like, there used to be gatekeepers on all levels to where you, if you're good, you're successful. Now it has nothing to do with whether you're good or not. Nothing. Mm. It's numbers, period. That's very discouraging when you have, when you know you're talented and you don't have such and such numbers, you know, it's like, what am I doing this for? So you have to rely on your fans and your, your support system um, and focus on them. You know, put out music for just them. <laughs> and hopefully people will catch on. So um, I'm just, I have to I have to be honest. I have to continuously remind me of that because this shit will beat you up. Yeah. You know, just everybody, all they care about is numbers and statistics. It's yeah. You know, and part of that positive reinforcement is actually engaging with the fans on a personal level, right? And, mm -hmm. also, you know, and that's how you build fans, too, is being in front of them, like, you know, as a real person, as opposed to, like, a picture or a video. Um, and you've mentioned a couple times, like, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic, so that's been taken away. You know, right. so face-to-face -face really transports us back to the summer, when, you know, lockdown and, like, you know, COVID have been peaking and things have boiled over with the, with the murder of George Floyd, um, you know, and it, it just is so vivid in that song, but it feels so long, far away. You know, it's only been a couple months, right. Yeah. but it, it almost feels like the energy is dying down. Have you felt that? Like, and if so, like, how do you think we sustain that movement that we've kind of built over the summer? Yeah, I feel that a lot. I feel <laughs> every, every, everything's just a trending topic. You know, everything's just a moment for social media. And that was a very real moment for all of us as a world, not just the U.S., as a world. And it feels like it never happened. It feels like it was just a, a blog moment, you know, or a tweet moment for people to, you know, be outside. And it just, it's crazy because that was me, me capturing that energy. Like you said, it was the summertime me capturing that energy was hard for me to do because I feel like as an artist, when you talk about certain things, it's gotta be extremely intentional. And then just finding out a way to convey how you feel about serious topics, but not come off preachy. You wanted to have a soulful, um, feel good type of, you know, nostalgic feeling, I guess, for me. If, if, the, if the listener can't see themselves in the record, I feel like we're doing a disservice to our, our listeners as artists. Mm. They got to be able to put themselves in that situation. And I personally never really heard any women lately really being vulnerable about that time in the, in the literally the pulling and tugging of what to pick in a struggle, you know, like what, <laughs> what issues are, are, am I going to have to deal with today? Whether it's COVID, whether it's being black, whether it's being a woman, whether it's being a woman in hip hop, whether it's living alone, whether it's dating, what it's just like, it was nonstop for me. And I just needed to find a way to, to tell that from a woman's perspective, but the fellas can understand it too, you know, like just feeling that. And to me, that was my overall goal. And I, and I feel like 
today everything's just moving so fast and we're moving on to the next thing to hashtag um and you know i, I don't really know how to to digest that i don't know you know it was real for me and all i could do is express it in my music in that same you know in face to face you also mentioned and you, you a moment ago you spoke about finding the hope finding the good and in that song you say you know lately i've been you know, kind of seeing, um, what is it? Uh, not reflections of God. Reminders of God. Yeah. Reminders of God. Can you speak to that? I mean, just in a year that it has been marred by so much challenge and all of that's going on. Like what have been your affirmations in the world of 2020, you know, beyond your career of just like, yo, like what's, what's holding you down like that? Man, Jake, to be honest with you, like to wake up every day, <laughs> to see the sun every day, like, <laughs> To get up in 2020 when we're in a pandemic, a, a deadly pandemic, a financial turmoil, and I'm able to go into the kitchen and cook something, or I'm able to walk to the store, or I, I was able to just sit and just celebrate and, and really just honor God for those small things that I was overlooking, that we often overlook, you know? I was able to breathe, I was okay. You know, I'm, I'm over here whining about how I feel emotionally, which is important, but it's like, yo, I'm okay. I'm good. I got my, my parents are good. My family's good. I can call up my friends and, and, you know, like, and I, I'm good. I got a, a little bit of a nest egg money wise where I can handle things. And I was creating a little bit more as far as just playing with DJing and, and the TC Helicon for Tiny Desk and, I had to just remind myself, I'm good. God is reminding me, like, I'm okay. You know, yes. like, things are in disarray right now in the world. But, you know, as long as I continue to, to try to get my mental and emotional state better, you know, I'm on the right track. So that was that line, too. Like, you know, <laughs> that's why I said survive. Yeah, yeah. You know, many ain't beating the odds. Like, it's like, I, I, I don't really... I, did, I felt like I didn't even have the right to complain or feel away. You know, people were going through so much worse, you know, and that that's a, a paralyzing feeling when you want to express, you know, where you're at mentally and you feel like you don't have the room to because everybody's going through something worse. You know, that's, so. that's very powerful. And I'm, I'm really I'm glad you mentioned the DJing. And I think it's dope. The turntables are behind you. You know, early, one of the first times I heard you was some of the work you do with J Live like a decade ago. And, you know, oh. J-Live J is, is the triple threat, you know? And yeah. so here you are, you know, MC, singer, DJ, produce, all of these things. Just talk to me about the motivation to not conquer, but to be a, a disciple of all of the elements of hip hop. Um, first of all, I love the fact that you mentioned J-Live because um, not many people know that he was a huge inspiration to me wanting to kind of like be a, a juggler of things. Um, just the sidebar, when I, when I saw J-Live when I was younger, rapping and DJing at the same time, it was just like, word? Like, who's doing that? Like, that's just... And that's how I feel when I play drums, you know, like just wanting to just showcase, you know, my my ability to do multiple things. So I much love and respect to Jay Live because he definitely planted a lot of seeds in me to want to diversify my my repertoire of what things I can do. Um, but I'm very hip hop. I'm all music, but I'm very hip hop. So embodying um, 
the different elements, I think, didn't really come into my mind state until later on in my career, like recently. I wasn't really drawn to wanting to DJ really until I moved to LA. Um, the L the DJ culture in, in LA is so strong and so like loved and respected that I kind of, it just fell into my lap, just wanting to learn it and be a little bit more of a um, curator of music. And it's, it's powerful to be able to control people's vibe like that. It's the same as being a, uh, a musician playing music or being able to rap and move a crowd. So I see why the DJ is really the first, the reason why rappers have even, <laughs> you know, even cared about, you know, the DJ just wasn't getting a lot of respect at one point. Um, mm -hmm. They were becoming obsolete as far as how integral they were into shows and just the MC period. So I just got back into my, my hip hop bag and, and really wanted to just, it came natural to me just to be able to blend and stuff. So when I see I'm, Falling into that, you know, interest, I just kind of fan the flame in and see how much I, I, I'll, I'll stick with a certain skill set. You know, you mentioned Rod Digger earlier, and I know you all have a special connection, too. Can you talk about yeah. that relationship? Yeah, um, me and Digger are very, very close. She's like a big sister to me and, and definitely is a great balance of like a good friend and I can just goof off and be silly and even just wine to a fault, but also just kind of like a mentor and will get me get me together when I need to be and, and definitely um, giving me gems and jewels throughout my career um, and opportunities. She tells people about me and everything. And that's very rare in this game. People are so temporary and, and just come and go. Um, but Diggis has, has been over here. She's crashed at the crib. Like we've been on tour a couple times. Like that's a relationship that won't weather away. Um, and I'm just very blessed to have somebody that really cares about me and won't steer me wrong, but also I can be myself. Like the flaws and all, you know, that's so important to just be able to be yourself. Even when you tripping, just to have somebody just be like, all right, Lyric, I'll let you act a mess, but <laughs> later on we gonna talk you know other people just judge you or or talk about you you know don't let you be human when you in this industry and you're an artist um so to have her kind of be that um balancing of the scales to so many extents is, is definitely a blessing so I love Digga and hopefully we we gonna get some new music from her soon <laughs> I'm still pushing her you know drops records yeah. um but yeah that, that love Digga and she's helped me in so many ways, you know, definitely talk to her all, all throughout this quarantine too. So definitely a, a good, a good friend to have in your corner. So love you, Digga. <laughs> so Digga, Jay Live, uh, Fonte, mm -hmm. uh, who are some other MCs who've inspired you along the way? Um, inspired me along the way, MCs, a lot, <laughs> a lot of people. Um, Radar, I have to, since we went all the way back to J-Live, I want to shout out Radar Ellis. Um, he, you know, kind of got me, in, can't say kind of, he got me in the game. He was the first one to put a microphone in front of me and stick me in a closet and get me to rap at age 15. So yeah. I'm very inspired because I see him still um, putting out music or still at least writing 
Um, so I can foresee myself, like when I have kids or get married, like he's still in love with music, probably not the same way when I was younger, but he's still creating and producing and he's teaching now and he's a DJ. So I followed in his footsteps, literally, um, from DJing to teaching to, <laughs> to being an MC. So Radar has definitely inspired me a lot. So much love to my big brother. Um, Nas, Black Thought, um, Black Thought for sure because of his band element and the way he performs and his his breath control and just, you know, all the essence of being an MC um, on a live perspective is really like sharp and skilled and people aren't, people don't really care about skill and practice and breath control as much as they used to. So I really, Black Thought needs more, we got to give him more flowers for that mm -hmm. <laughs> for as long as he's been in the game. Like he has birthed a lot of us. Um, and Nas from the storytelling perspective, um, is is a, a real reason why I'm so transparent as well. Feral Mach too, just so transparent, but but putting the bars in there so you can get the medicine with the candy, so to speak. Um, I really like that style. Being able to be very skilled but still telling a story um, is very much Nas and, and Feral. So I would say those those three guys, aside from the other people you mentioned, for sure. Hey, that's a pretty that's a pretty heavy crew right there. Yeah, uh, you know. So you mentioned, uh, you know, the challenges uh, facing women uh, this summer, and reason. You know, you know, reason from TDE. Yes, he just I... drops an album. Um, he's got a song on it called Fall. Did you, did you hear oh. that song? No, I haven't. Okay, he talks a lot about the challenges facing women in hip hop. You know, uh, pressures to be hypersexual, uh, pressures to like sleep with people, like all these things that, like, you know, women. And hip hop have to face uniquely that men don't. So, you know, what do you think about like that? That that and you know you're not alone in, in recognizing those things. The guys are kind of looking out too. But what, what do you think about that? What do I think about like what was his perspective on it? Was his he perspective just... is that you know it, the song is called Fall and it's Don't You Fall. He's encouraging women to stay strong and not succumb to that. You know, and mm. um, I know that there are a lot of women rappers, especially these days who have taken that stand, you know, uh, who don't compromise, there's Rhapsody, No Name, um, you know, Shea Noir, yourself, you know, but can you, can you talk about the challenges that you face as a woman in hip hop? Um, <laughs> um, definitely have, you know, people will try you. I'll say that people will try you and it'd be the ones, um, you know, I haven't heard reasons record, um, but it, it'll be the ones who kind of come off as, you know, the peace queen fellas and, and, you know, come off with respect and their intentions are very, very, you know, opposite, you know, like they'll, they'll reel you in with the, the syntax and the verbiage of wanting to respect you or work with you. Um, so I've been bamboozled a few times because, you know, going back to my big bro radar, I was kind of spoiled coming up. Like I was actually treated with respect and actually treated like a little sister um, and not, you know, sexualized or any of that. So the older I was getting and people were kind of coming at me with the initial uh, energy like Radar or J Live or whoever, and then they'll flip the script. I'll be like, wait a minute. I thought we was going, <laughs> I thought, I thought we was going to make rap records. Like what's going on? And then your, your emotions get confused because we're still women, you know? So 
music is still very powerful. Sometimes there is a mutual attraction there. And other times I feel like guys have, there, there's been no intentions to go any other way from a woman's perspective, but the guys will try you and then they'll just see how far they can go. Um, I don't necessarily think that's a problem, but I don't think people really are reading body language and just energy the right, the right way in my experiences, you know, I've, I've done things that I wanted to do and other things that I just was like, man, I, I didn't really want to, you know, in, involve with so-and-so that way. Um, I just felt not necessarily pressured, but I was pressured, you know, like, and that's been the parallel with the Me Too movement too, like that, that fine line of really seeing what's appropriate and what's inappropriate, you know, people will say things to you and just, you know, comment on your looks or whatever. And when you're a heterosexual woman, you want to be complimented, you know, but a lot of, a lot of, a lot of guys know, they know when to, to, when it's a respectful way and when there's a mutual, um, a mutual like admiration sexually or whatever, you know? So um, I think there's two, three hip hops. I think with women, there's, you know, there's, there's us who are super lyrical and we stay in and what what have you bubble and then there's a mainstream side too where they they've seen things that I probably haven't even I can't even imagine you know there's there's levels of things that I probably don't even <laughs> you know I, I probably don't even know what's going on so I don't think things have been totally bad but it, it, it be the ones that come at you with the intended respect that make you feel like shit later so yeah. yeah. Well, you embrace your sexuality on the album too. You know, your song with Vic Mensa. Uh, yes. You know, you have a lot of fun on that record. Vic is a, a another personal favorite of mine too. You know, uh, I've worked with him a lot over the course of his career, so it was great. But how did you, how did you guys connect, and, and can you talk about working with him? Yeah. Well, that was that was all Fonte. Um, the okay. the the true executive producer moment right there. Um, we started working on Show You How when I was in Raleigh. Um, that was one of the last songs we, we got a, a little chance to get started on before I came back and then back to LA and then COVID shut everything down. Um, but I remember us distinctly talking about like, you know, a lot of women, you know, when they're, when they're not doing the overly sexualized style of hip hop, which is the mainstream, let's just be honest. That is what mainstream women hip hop is right now. <laughs> all sexual, all, whether it's strip, stripping, you know, or whatever. And I'm okay with people having a, a certain perspective, but I also miss the days when wordplay was a thing where being subtle and being, you know, clever with talking about lo making love or relationships or just straight up having sex was, you know, cleverly talked about and, and played with, with your words and pen. Um, so I remember Fonte going like, yo, we, we need a, a song on the project that's just playful and really shows like, you know, you all woman, like, you know, you have these thoughts too. I was like, I agree, you know, like I just got to find a way to, to do it where it's not jarring, but I agree. And a house bounce type record was just so perfect to do with that. Um, it was just so playful and, you know, it just brings you back to the nineties where you're singing along. And if you're listening long enough, you know what I'm talking about, but 
just at face value, it's just a good, it's a good bop that you can rap along to. You know, I don't think I cuss one time in my verse at all. So I miss those days. So at first, Fonte was going to rap at Vic Mensa's part on the record. And then he was like, you know, I think that probably isn't the best idea <laughs> considering I'm executive producing your project. Um, it probably would be dope. Let's try to think of another, maybe like young dude, cause you're trying to teach a young dude something. So somebody that's more in your, in your peer group. Um, and so we ran through a couple names and I said, I like Vic Bensa. You know, Vic, he's like, yeah, I know Vic. <laughs> like, yeah, I like, I like him. He's like, yeah, I, I like the idea of him on the project. Let me see what I can do. Um, and then next thing I know, I got the record with his verse on there and it was perfect. It was just exactly what, you know, I, I thought it would sound like, you know, like Vic has been somebody similar to me where he can be on a Kaytronada record and then do some boom bap and then do primo. And, you know, so I, I wanted somebody that was like-minded and versatile with their pen um, and can kind of style on any type of canvas. And he was perfect. He was just straight to the point and I'm playing wordplay yeah. <laughs> and everything. So it was, it was a perfect um, balance for, yeah. for that. And credits to Fonte, he made that happen for sure. And thank you Vic for hopping on there too. Yeah, so, so Tay didn't rap on that record, um, but <laughs> you had both him and Pooh on Cruising. And yes. None of y'all were cruising. Y'all were going in on that record. Uh, so, <laughs> did you feel like added pressure, like you know, with two lyrical legends like that to step up? Because you you more than held your own. Yeah, you. I didn't really, you know. No, I didn't feel any pressure. Um, I've been doing this a long time. Right. <laughs> you know, like I'm not I'm not a new rapper. Like, yeah. so no, I actually felt super comfortable because now I'm rapping with my you know motherfuckers I want to rap with yeah, you know yeah. not saying that I, I wasn't before you know I definitely have done some great collaborations with some incredible MCs but from the track to the to the the scheme of how we started every verse like that's the type of shit I that's that, that's my kind of rap raps mm. you know what I mean like just a theme and I love schemes like I really I really love schemes so when Fate sent me the record I first of all I felt like a guest first of all I'm I'm lyric and I'm a guest on a little brother record to me in my in my brain um so I think that's where the energy came from my pen because I'm I'm looking at like I'm a guest here so let me support my brothers um, versus this is my record on my album and they're, you know, supporting me. I guess that's the emotion I had to do mentally mm. yeah. um, to get my pen to where it was. Um, but it was super, I felt super comfortable. The, the, the niggas was styling on there. So it, it, <laughs> yeah. it left me, I, I'm not comfortable when there's just like emptiness and it's just talking about fluff. You know, then it's, then I, I think I would have felt a little bit more pressure Cause I've gotten records like that where it's like, yo, I need a 16 and it ain't, the song ain't really about shit. It's just rap. Yeah. You know, I like direction a little bit. It really helps me play around with, with ideas and, and double entendres and, and stuff when I have a direction to an extent. Um, so I, I really, I really like that. And I'm, I'm big on schemes. So Fonte sending me that like, all right, Pool on 75, I'm on 85. So you, what what highway are you on? So wow. like, yes, let's yeah. fucking write. Let's yeah. fucking write this shit. <laughs> so yes. And the, yeah. uh, 
the drums on that shit, Focus Kill, Focus and, and Mel Beats, shouts out to them who produced that record and he mixed the fuck out of that record. Mm. Like, it feels so good in the car. Like, oh, yeah. Definitely. The, 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 whole album, <laughs> the whole album feels good in the car, you know? Yes, um, it does. Yeah, so I know you said mainstream hip hop is the sexualized stuff, but, you know, uh, Rhapsody just took home Lyricist of the Year. You know, from the BT Hip Hop Awards, you know, um, I think there's more diversity than ever, and you are contributing a huge part of that. So, you know, congratulations. We just added Rock On to our playlist. Gonna, oh, dope. Have Thank you. Heavy rotation, you know. That shows the educator in you yeah. big time, that yeah. joint. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, mainstream meat, you know, a lot of people are noticing a shift a little bit, but it's still not on a mainstream level, yeah. you know? Like getting one of us who are, who is very lyrical being mentioned on, you know, lyricists of the year on BET, you know, no shot, no shots on BET, but it's still not, that's not enough. There's way too many of us out here yeah. busting for there to really just be a representation of just one, you know? And I, I love that the door is being <clears throat> And, you know, shouts out to Rhapsody because she's, you know, definitely making her rounds on like Busta's album and, you know, more on a mainstream level to an extent. But th it shouldn't just be one. Like, yeah. it, it, it's like a million of this of this mainstream sexualized uh, style from a woman's perspective. But, you know, what we're, what we're getting, me, Che Noir, Sarok, you know, what we're getting is like, yo, we need to hear you on the radio too, or we need to see you on these ciphers or whatever too. I don't understand why I can't, there has to be one person. When we see these covers on XXL or whatever, or whatever, it's just always this one, it's always a, a representation of one, as if a lot of us can't really live in the same, play in the same sandbox per se. Yeah. When the guys can, you know, the fellas, it'd be like 60 people <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know so it feels good to see lyricism represented um through like chica and, and you know stuff like that um but it, it it definitely needs to be on a more mainstream level with sales and record sales and stuff too and, and platforms grammys and billboard awards and and all of that too you know mm -hmm. that's what i that's what i mean by mainstream like yeah. not just because you know you know, Ambrosia for Heads knows me, but, <laughs> you know, it's like we pull in for teeth just to get other bigger platforms to to see that it's more than just one person. So, yeah. Well, we're going to keep grinding for you. And, uh, you know, Thank congrats again on the album, Closer Than They Appear, on every DSP out there. Um, definitely great listen. So thank you for joining us. Thank yeah. you. Thank I appreciate you. it. Yep. Thank you, guys. And, yeah, right. let me let me know if you need me for anything else. Right. Awesome. <laughs> Got you. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, later. All right, take care. Thank you. Yeah, so that was great, man. Um, Absolutely. Big fan, big fan. Um, I did meet her at A3C. She and Digger did a, a collab together, um, and I think I recorded it and posted it. Too. It was it was awesome. But like, uh, just I think really I remember that phenomenally yeah. talented artist. You know, uh, I didn't even realize that she played drums too, you know, uh, and she got done with drums too, but uh, just like a, a quadruple threat, so amazing. Yeah, one thing I love about these Zoom interviews, I mean, it's it's wild because it's on the fly and sometimes there's technical difficulties. Thankfully, we didn't have any this time, but you really get to see artists you admire in their element and to see, you know, Lyric with the turntables and the mic right there and all of that was just uh, dope. 
Yeah. So before we wrap up, there's a couple things, uh, a couple other things I want to talk about. One is um, West Side Gun is in the news. Um, so he officially is off Shady Records. Um, you know, I guess they signed what, like, it's almost been like three years now, but more uh, than, yeah. We didn't, we didn't start to see product though until a year or so ago. So it feels yeah. pretty short lived. But what's, what's your thought on that? You know, you, you've made a point to me just kind of in the, uh, in the kitchen, uh, the professional kitchen, and you're like, labels don't matter. You've been saying that to me in, in recent years um, because I'm somebody that gets very hung up on the old school of like James Brown or Polydor. Like, and I think this is a case where labels don't matter. Um, I think that West Side Gun's success, um, and this is equally true of Conway and Benny, has been um, you know, very much achieved on their own. There are people in the background, peers, executives, things like that, that I'm sure have, you know, pulled strings on the machine. But this is one more case where, um, yeah, I don't know that an association with Shady other than just name brand recognition did much for West Side Gun. So I'm not surprised. Yeah, me neither. You know, um, it was a great look. It, it, I think it definitely put them on the mainstream map, you know, just to go back to kind of some of the stuff that Lyric was saying, you know, in showcasing them. And that's a huge cosign for like an M&M yes. to um, recognize Griselda, who was largely underground and very like, you know, hard scrabble and, and very different than Eminem's rap at that point. Yeah. It exposed them to a completely different audience and took them to a different level. But those guys have always been about building their own movement, you know, and um, I think that, you know, they are all kind of their own bosses. And so to have their own label makes sense, you know, been with Black Soprano family and, and gone doing his thing. So, um, you know, it was surprising. Um, there was some, it sounded like there was a little, that, that it, they didn't part on the most amicable of terms either, because I know that Gunn uh, thought that, you know, they weren't promoting his projects in the way that they should have. Um, but, you know, uh, I think a lot of times these kind of moves are, are, are blessing from the sky. So, yeah, I don't see it slowing down. That yeah, no, and it's a dope part of history. I mean, you know, the first time I had certainly heard Benny and heard his name, but the first time I remember seeing his face was in that, you know, Shady Cypher, where you got, um, you know, Gunn kind of making an introduction, Conway, Benny, and then Boogie. Um, which was a great moment for Shady. And one thing I will say is a testament to Em and Shady because it's we're coming up on a year since we got, you know, what would Cheen Gun do? Shady didn't change these guys. You know, even in Conway's song with M, you know, the Bang remix, M stepped into their world, not the other way around. And I feel like Shady and a lot of other high-profile labels 10 years ago weren't so deft at that. So these stories are are interwoven. I mean, um, and, and hopefully it's a situation where like, you know, I try not to read the tea leaves too much. Um, you know, Conway tweeted something that was very cryptic this week about, you know, kind of disassociating. And some people were like, oh, does that mean Griselda? I suspect that it probably means Shady. But I wouldn't be surprised if five years down the line or two years down the line, we see these guys still in good terms with each other. And that's the magic too of, of M. I mean, M and 50 as far as I know, have no longer a business relationship, but those guys continue to support each other. You know, M still supports Alchemist. Um, there's just a host of that. And I hope that this isn't the end, but yeah, I think Griselda can do more on their own than any label can do for them at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Um, one of the best freestyles I've seen in a while dropped this week too. Uh, Reason had a Funkmaster Flex freestyle and uh, he, he killed it. I thought that was super dope. Did you get a chance to check that out? Absolutely did. Outside the barber shop, he had some slick uh, punchlines of Joe Budden living with sin, uh, James yeah. Harden punchline. Yeah. You know, Reason is so dope. And, you know, you, you mentioned him in our conversation with Eric Jones. Reason is one of those artists. JID is one of those artists that, you know, yes, they're out there. They have great streaming numbers. But in terms of, of really having a hip hop head to hip hop head conversation, you need those moments. And, you know, Flex being a beacon of, of East Coast hip hop culture, New York, tri-state hip hop culture, that was a dope get. And the fact they did it outside the barbershop um yeah it's funny flex putting his mask on after the interview was kind of funny too but that that just made me laugh yeah yeah i guess because he was spitting yeah <laughs> uh that joke uh so you know um one of the biggest releases this week was two chains um uh, he came out with his album so help me god um I like the album a lot, you know, so uh, rapper Go To The League, um, his last album was one of my favorites that year. I got to listen to this one a few more times to see if it kind of stands up to that. It did not on first listen, but mm -hmm. also I will say that the second half of the album stood out to me like as being particularly strong. And yeah. it's a nice build. So I got to go back and listen to it with fresh ears, you know, without expectation. But I think I, I went in with, with kind of sonically envisioning him being on that same wavelength as rapper go to the league and this one was different mm -hmm. um so i want to go back to it but but i thought the second half was really really strong what, what, yeah what you you texted me that and so there was a period of time on friday night where i just played the second half of the album and i agree with you um i think it's really interesting and, and this also might be a product of not being as plugged in as i was in early 2019 just because of where the site is where you and i are professionally um, but all of the hype around rapper go to the league, you know, with LeBron and Ring, um, all of that stuff, this one kind of just like popped up on me and I thought it was really, really good. And, you know, two chains, he is one of the most lyrical, you know, mainstream artists of that kind. Like he reminds me a lot of Cameron where there's people that dismiss a lot of two chains peers and a lot of his collaborators, but still embrace him as a lyricist because of wordplay cam was like that you know um 15 years ago and, and maybe still so and yeah i just every time a two change drops the project i just appreciate his lyricism and this one's very easy to listen to very good in the car i don't know that it you know it enters my top 10 right now of the year there's just some other projects that really stick to my ribs more but um i'm kind of tbd on that one and, and that was the same issue too with rapper go to the league like it was you know um uh, the Joy with Ninth Wonder was one of my favorite songs last year. But by the time all these other albums came, um, you know, it got a little bit lost in the sauce. I'm very interested to see where this one ends up when we kind of look back at 2020, you know, in the yeah. rap space. Yep, yep. No, I agree with you. I'm not sure that it would pop out for me. But, you know, I went back and listened to Reasons Project again, too, with Fresh Ears. And I really liked it the first time, but, like, I really like it now. I listened to okay. it the second time. And, and um, um you know, so I will go back to this one in a couple weeks. I like to do that. Like, you know, I think sometimes yeah. you got to like let it process and marinate for a couple weeks before you go back to it. Um, 
but I will. You know, so some of the joints that stuck out to me were Southside Ho. Big time. His, um, you know, his semi old to Jay-Z. You know, he was on Breakfast Club talking about how he's asked Ho to, like, give him a verse three times now. And, and hasn't done it, so he's about to give up on that dream. Um, but he sent it to Ho, like, you know, hoping that he might, you know, uh, get on it. And it's got... Um, the, the the chorus from Feeling It, sung by Seven Streeter. And, you know, it's very subtle, very subtle, but there, I think, are strong kind of hints toward the uh, track of Dead Presidents, and just kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, broken down, um, you know. Wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. So, uh, great song. Then YRB um, with Rick Ross is just that that is a monster I, I, man you love ross on everything though <laughs> come on man like, and i'll say that i say that with, with respect <laughs> no and that that is good that one didn't stick to me but you when you put me on a feel away though which is funny because right. in my mind you know i'm not chomping at the bit right now for kanye versus yeah. Yeah. and that one the chemistry there i actually had to look and see if yay you know, produce the beat, but it's his man, Mike Dean, you know, hip hop legend. Um, but that one's special. And that, you know, not to jump ahead, but that one, Ye's verse, as we talk about Jay references, it reminded me a lot of, of Jay on the Diamonds Are Forever remix. Mm. Because Kanye comes in and says he's in the studio with Dame and with Biggs. And then he makes a line in the next step, like people going to feel a certain way about it. Right. Um, yeah, so yeah. I thought that was interesting when you add it to talk about slaves, like he's going in, he's going yeah, in people. yeah, yeah. But I, I like that joint, and it's great to see you know Brent Fayez on a high profile, you know, hip hop song, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, two chains, um, any other thing, any anything else to go? Yo, I, I didn't realize it till this morning, but it's always worth noting, especially since we've talked about Outcast in the um you know, in the, uh, the podcast is, you know, Andre 3000 very quietly spit a, a guest verse. And, you know, we've seen three stacks, you know, pop up with Frank Ocean. We've seen him with James Blake. This was home team. Um, so Goody Mob released an album on Friday called Survival Kit. Um, all, if not largely produced by Organized Noise, it's kind of coming through ON's label and the Dungeon family. And three stacks appears on a joint called No Cigar. And, you know, he, he plays clean up on it his verse comes right at the end it's always worth worth noting um you know when andre drops a verse so i i don't love the beat to be honest with you and i hold organized noise and rico and sleepy brown and ray murray in the highest but um it's cool to see andre keep it home team like that so that was Man, big for me that dude just sneaks out two or three verses a year and just destroys it like every mm-hmm. time. It's just it's amazing, man. And it, that's why it's so was so strange, so jarring to read that article a couple of years ago where he was saying he didn't, you know, think that he was still like capable as a rapper, and that's why yeah. he put out an album. It's like, dude, you're killing the game. Like, I mean, you know, just just like please, like let us be the judge, not you. You know, but uh, man, all I wanted to do was run into him, and when he was here in Philly for like six months shooting that. Uh, movie or show I still haven't seen it with Sally Field but I just he was on many corners just playing the clarinet vibing and I always wanted to just you know give him uh give him my respect because he's definitely one of my favorites another joint um it's just one or two others I think that are worth mentioning so your old Droog is ramping up with a new project and he got one of his biggest collaborations I would say to date he's got Black Thought 
LP, and then his two guys who have, you know, been making a lot of noise over the last three, four years, the God Fahim, who came out of originally like around West Side Gun, like six, seven years ago, and then Mac Hami, who, you know, we very cryptically see, you know, photographed with Jay-Z, photographed, you know, in Dre's studio, all these different places. And they came together on a joint. I hope I'm pronouncing, I hope my, my Russian's up on game, but Pravda, um, which is just, that's a powerhouse right there of, you know, five great MCs. So, you know, for folks that love that sort of like hardcore hip hop, definitely check that joint out. And then- um, There used to be a speakeasy uh, in New York called Pravda um, back in uh, like early, O's, and it was the spot. Like I remember seeing Mel Gibson there once, and like it was just, it was like the oldest spot. Really? Ever. Yeah. So I wonder if it's a, a, an old spot, but maybe. That's interesting. You don't see a lot of LP guest features. I mean, Black Thought has been very much making his rounds, but outside of Run the Jewels, L is just not. He's not dropping off a lot of a lot of guest verses, and I thought he killed the RTJ Four album. So great to see him there. And the other one worth noting, just because, you know, so many of our listeners and readers are huge Wu-Tang heads, Ghostface Killer pops up on Vivian Green's new single. So she put out a whole album this week, but she's got a joint called Light Up. And it you would especially like it, I think, because it, it makes a lot of reference to 80s pop and R&B. And, and the beat twitches a little bit with it. Like, they cut in and out of some things. And Ghost... Um, you know, which we've seen a lot of artists do right now, you know, kind of with the playlist thing, like he riffs on the records playing a lot of like, you know, Bobby Brown and, and stuff like that. Um, Rob Bass, DJ Easy Rock. It's just a cool collaboration. And, you know, Ghost is so hardcore, so, so conventional to his image. But, you know, when he makes these R&B collabos or sometimes pop collabos, they're really good. And he still is who he is. He doesn't deviate, but he adds that essence to a song. And that's, you know, we've seen it with Tiana Taylor and some other folks. This is just a cool spot for it. Oh, I'm going to check those and probably add a few of those to the playlist. So, yo, it's dope, man. It's dope. Um, and then Billy Dance dropped, dropped a, an album, too. Method On a Dance, Sunday, yeah. Daz, Havoc, and Cormega. Cormega. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I'm told the new... DJ K Slay is uh, is pretty good too. Um, so, yeah, a lot of new music coming out, man. Um, the backloader, a lot of people backloading this year. So, yeah, tis the season, and I think now that the election's out of the way, we're gonna see some stuff. So, yeah, man, it's been a it's been a busy week. Yeah. So what's your so what's uh ah oh, man? I was asking you the same question. So I uh, I sent it to you at one point as a song of the day. I was a huge Wale fan, even, I think I actually broke the story when he signed with Mark Ronson in like 2009, something in there, 2008. So I was a very big fan of like Nike boots era Wale. Um, and I love, I love his album Ambition. Um, but I, I've been a little bit cool on Wale in recent years. And then I came up on my, my daily mix. He's got a joint that came out this summer called Moving Different with McClenny. And it's like a hip house, Yo, that song has been in the heaviest of rotations for me all week. So um, best Wale record I've heard in at least three years, I would say. I can't stop playing it. But um, what about you? Crazy. You know, uh, that was my favorite Wale era, too, like the, the Mark Ronson days. I actually saw him, went to see him perform at Highline uh, Ballroom. Mm. And it was like 2009, 2010. 
Um, met Wale, met Mark Ronson outside. That was really cool because, you know, it was Mark Ronson. I was like, Pete, you're like Amy Ronson or Amy um, Winehouse and everything. Um, yeah. And he played with a full go-go band. So yeah. it was just, it was, it was like on fire out there. It was amazing. Um, for me, this song has been stuck in my head all week. I, I tried to send it to you, but dude, it's not on DSPs. The original album version is not even on YouTube. I have it uh, on in my iTunes because I, I bought the CD back when it came out. But Prince did the uh, original soundtrack for Girl 6, um, Spike Lee movie. Movie was not that good. Um, but uh, but there was a song called Count, uh, Count the Days. It was acoustic guitar. And like really like uh, it's soulful and bluesy, uh, but Prince has got some really jarring like vengeful lyrics about like just taking revenge on somebody. Um, but it's an amazing song that's been been in my head all week. So you you yeah. you taking revenge on somebody? Easter egg, Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sent me a live performance of that with uh, Prince's face uh, cover. That was pretty dope. Yeah, yeah, so. Word. Well, yeah. Um, always a pleasure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope the hazy shade of winter uh, doesn't get us all down. Yeah, or or sick, man. But Lord willing, we get to uh, do this again next week. Yeah, I love what Lyric said. You know, just like being able to get up and go to the kitchen and cook some food for yourself. Like these are the blessings that we have. Man. So yeah, man. Big big wins that feel like small wins, but amen. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. All right, Take man. care. Peace.